everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Rumcast. This is the podcast where we talk all things rum with the people who love and shape it. I think I've got that memorized by now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm Will Hookinga, and on the other line, as always, coming to you from Miami, Florida, is John Gullah. John, how's it going? Hey, Will. It's going really well, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you actually uh, re-mentioned that I'm in Miami, because it's actually relevant to something I wanted to talk about with oh, you Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So, do we, do we have a, a, a crazy Florida story coming up? No. Well, there's always crazy Florida stories, it feels like. <laughs> um, but no, this one's less crazy. Uh, in fact, it, it mild in comparison, even. Oh, um, okay. But interesting. Well, don't, don't, don't sell it too hard. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to undersell it. I think interesting for our audience for a specific specific reason, um, which may not be readily apparent, or maybe I'm alone in this, and maybe people do do think of these things together. But I wanted to talk to you, Will, about something I've been doing lately as a, a different hobby and pastime than rum. Um, okay. Not near as much, of course. You know, rum is number one, of course, but sure. home gardening. Oh, okay. That was actually what made you late for our recording session today, wasn't it? It was <laughs> yes. a little gardening. I was out there, and the nice thing about gardening in your backyard is sometimes, you know, you de-stress and you lose track of time. Right. So, well, see, you, you're in, in one sense, you're telling me that rum is still number one in your heart. In the other sense, you're showing up late <laughs> to record the rum podcast because of gardening. So, I, you know, I'm getting kind of mixed signals here. I, I, you know, I need I need you to, to, come, to come clean and, and really say it with your chest. Look, Will, it, it'll all make sense here in a second. Okay. okay. So, I'll let you get to it. All right. All right. So the home gardening, we recently, like a lot of people during COVID, I think, found some of that solace in gardening and we were spending more time at home. So it made sense to do that. And sure. so we've been enjoying that. We have, you know, two raised beds that we've uh, created outside and we're utilizing that. Our area. Okay, so a raised bed would be like, you know, something that's hanging off, off a, a fence or something like that. It's like not on the ground. Is no, that right? No, that, that would be, I don't know. That's the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. I don't know what they call that, but uh, no, raised bed is like when you build above your ground level. Oh, okay, so it's kind of like a trough, sort of. Yes. I'm a complete like gardening idiot, so <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, break this down into the simplest terms. It, yeah, so it's just essentially when you when you fill dirt and good dirt above ground level, and for us in I Miami, we have to do that because our dirt is poor and is full of limestone here. Like there's yeah, bad dirt. I didn't know that about Miami. Yeah, I mean it's there's nothing you can do really about it. It's just ton of limestone rock and, you know, it, it's not viable really All unless right. you were to add to it. So, long All story right. short anyways, we did these raised beds. We've got some plants growing in there and that's all pretty standard, but because I have an awesome wife, she also thought of something rum related that we've been doing. We we have a rum corner in our garden. Oh, okay, so what are you growing like mint and stuff exactly. over there? Exactly. So nice. it was really cool the idea that she came up with, and I've taken to that, and it's kind of converged these two things, which has been fun. So we we went out and we bought a a lime tree, which is ah, you know that's, okay. I, that's yeah, the I didn't even think one. about limes, but like that totally makes sense given yeah. the climate down there. Yes, and so it works for us perfect, and and the price of lime seems to like keep going up anyways. So we thought that was a perfect idea. So we've got a small tree in the back that it hasn't started fruiting for us yet, but okay. you know it takes some time and some effort to get it there and some fertilizing, and we're, so we're working there. We're we're doing that. It's in a huge pot, and it should get pretty decent size. Um, but what is cool is we have right next to that will is a key lime tree. 
Oh, okay. A little... So, key limes, what are they, like a little sweeter? What's what's the deal with key limes? So, key limes are a little bit smaller and a little bit yellow than the Persian limes that most of us are probably used to. Uh, And I don't know what their availability is outside of Florida. Obviously, I'm very close to the Keys, where key limes are from. But there is a little bit of a tinge of a different flavor with a key lime. Um, I would say it's actually slightly more sour. Oh, okay, interesting. Than, than some of the Persian limes are for me. But I think that also varies greatly. You know, you sure. get a lot of different limes that can be different in their content and how sweet they are. And we've talked about that in the past, I think. But I, yeah. I think overall, I think key limes give a, a slightly different flavor tinge that is noticeable. And for me, consistently is noticeable. Now, our key lime tree is twice as small as our lime tree, but it's fruiting. Uh, okay, so, so you've got those coming in early. You yeah, can start using them now. Yeah, it's full of flowers and full of fruit. And I cannot wait for these little limes that are about the size of maybe like a quarter right now to double so we can you know, pick them off when they're ripe and use them. So yeah, I, I thought that was cool because I thought there is a lot of places in the country that maybe you know, you're know you out there and you haven't thought of doing this yet, or maybe it might be something that you'd be interested in. It really doesn't take a whole lot of effort, I think. And at the same time, I think the reward there, although in some cases it may be a year or two uh, before right. you really get a lot out of it, would be worth it. Uh, you also mentioned, well, mint. Yeah. So the other thing that's in our, our rum corner is mint. And if you know much about mint, which, Will, you, you're a, a gardening not gardening person. Well, the one thing, but the oh. one gardening thing I do know is that you have to like isolate mint because it will take over everything, right? <laughs> so this is funny. <laughs> this, did you not do that? I did not do that. <laughs> I did not know this. <laughs> so the one, the one thing I could have helped you on, yes, didn't didn't happen. I didn't know this, and so we put mint in our raised bed next to everything else, and then quickly realized. That, right. oh, that's a bad idea. In fact, my mom was the one who's also a gardener told me, oh, you don't want to do that because... Mint is not it, messing around. Yes, mint is like, mint, it don't play. Right. Mint is like, I'm going to go everywhere and right. you're never going to get rid of me. So yeah. uh, good news is we got it out and what it looks like now, which is like a month afterward, it looks okay. So I think nice. we were able to to nip it in the bud, so to speak. Ha, see what oh, I did God. there? Uh, <laughs> Don't start. And, um, Don't start, John. It's too early for that. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the good news is now it's it's living in its own pot, and it's over by the, the lime tree. And that nice. just makes me happy. Like, I see lime trees, I see mint, uh, and we've got three different types of mint. So Okay, wait, you got your spearmint, your chocolate mint. Right. Those are the only two mints I know. Well, no, it's one's an apple mint, but that apple was mint. that was because my, my girls liked that one. So it's okay. less less I don't know, it could be good in, in some drinks, but um less because of that. But apple mint, we got mojito mint, okay. which I think the mojito mint, and somebody listening correct me if I'm wrong, but I think mojito mint is also spearmint, or at least close because it certainly looks like it. And then yeah, and chocolate mint, uh, which should be fun and interesting as well. And then there's also lemon mint, and there's all these other things, so we maybe will expand. But yeah, the, the only other thing I wanted to mention that I think is relevant is something that I didn't think of combining with rum, but now I've seen it done and I want to do it, oh, which is, is it? chili. What, like, so like peppers? Yes. Oh, okay. So uh, actually, we just recently with Florida Rum Society had a, a small testing kit for Bly Rum, uh-huh. which you may know, uh, Will, Bly, B-L-Y. Yeah, they're up there in the Northeast, right? Yeah, they have an Ancho Chili Rum. Oh, wow, okay. So I haven't tried it yet, and we will be trying it soon, but that inspired me, and I was like, hey, I can put chilies, and you know, we can experiment with how that works. I don't know, you know, I've yet to try it, I don't know if I like it, but I thought it was cool. So we have like eight peppers in our garden, different types. 
Yeah, I mean, I could see that working. Like one yeah. of the one of my wife's favorite drinks that I make for her sometimes. Not not that I came up with this. Like you see it all the time. It's just uh, cutting up some uh, jalapeno slices and throwing them in the shaker with a margarita. Nice. Um, it's really good. Oh, cool. And uh, I could see that working in a daiquiri too. It would be really nice. So yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to try some of the things that I hadn't necessarily thought of that might go with it. But so we'll see if one of my chili plants moves over to the rum corner. It's not there right nice. now. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, it may make its uh, way over there at some point. If you so. get a reassignment. Yes. Well, as your chilies consider reassignment to the rum corner, let's let's move to our rum corner of the the introduction today. Yes. And talk about uh, the guest on this episode of the Rumcast. So I know in our previous episode, uh, we mentioned that we had kind of a scheduling snafu. And this episode is where we are making up for that. So in this interview, we talked with Amanda and Maito Perdomo who are from Travelers Liquors in Belize. And we, we, we go into this at the beginning of the interview a little bit, so I, I won't talk over myself too much. But basically, mm-hmm. you know, John and I both felt like Belize is, is one of those countries where if, if you're into rum, you've probably tasted or at least seen, you know, a decent number of releases from independent bottlers that are labeled as being from Belize. And I think pretty it, it's easy to see that and not realize that those rums are almost always coming from travelers. Mm-hmm. And so it's just one of those distilleries that I think like if you're into rum, you have an awareness that there's rum in Belize, but there's just not that much information out there about travelers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it has this long history going back to, well, the, the Perdomo family's involvement with rum in Belize goes back to the 1950s. And again, I won't spoil the whole story of how they came to own the distillery. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where I I just think it's another sort of undercovered segment of the rum world. And we hope to shed a little bit more light on uh, how their distillery works, its history, uh, what, you know, the style of, of rum is like in Belize uh, and, and things like that. So, John, any, anything jump out to you from this interview before we dive into it? I thought it was enlightening for exactly the reason you mentioned, Will, which was that I feel like I didn't and a lot of other people we've seen don't know as much about the the Belizean rum history and, and travelers history as much as uh, others. Like the only thing that came to mind when I thought of Belize was like Carmen San Diego, which if you know <laughs> Carmen San Diego, I remember was the a, game. Yeah, but like yeah, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Yeah, and was even there the a song Belize was like, with that? Uh, well, it was like uh, the the song went uh, "Take you for a ride" or something from. Berlin down to Belize and that was the only thing I remember (laughs) so I I love that I I don't remember the song yeah that was from the show I think but I loved the game as well but anyways my point there was like that was like the only thing that stuck out to me about Belize remembering from like my uh history and and like world geography and so I had to really kind of think of a little bit more about it knowing I love the rum like you said so I think we got that in in this interview and they were uh wonderful to talk to as expected and really hoping to make it down there because it was really interesting and exciting to hear that they're not only the distillery but they have a museum and all this other cool stuff so travelers is appropriately a good place to travel to Oh, you, you had say. to do it, didn't you? You had to do it. All right. Well, I, I, I won't let us go on any longer on that note. Let's kick things over to the interview. <laughs> if you're listening to our show right now, there are six words about rum that are likely to catch your eye. Single barrel, cask strength, and no additives. 
Those six words are the whole premise of the single cask rum releases from Holmes Key, the sponsor for this episode of the Rumcast. Holmes Key seeks out the world's best rums and releases them unadulterated and at cask strength in limited editions. Check out their website at homeskey.com to learn more about their new 2021 releases, distilled at places like Foursquare in Barbados, Demerara Distillers in Guyana, Traveler's Liquors in Belize, and Clarendon Distillery in Jamaica. Also, you'll definitely want to stay tuned for more exciting 2021 releases coming up soon. You can find out more at homeskey, that's H-O-L-M-E-S-C-A-Y.com. Now back to the show. All right, we are here with Amanda Perdomo and Maito Perdomo of Traveler's Liquors in Belize. And I'm, I'm excited about this because just the other day, uh, Amanda Maito, I was mentioning to a friend that we were going to be interviewing you. And I asked him, uh, he's, he's a big rum fan. So I asked if he was familiar with Traveler's and it didn't ring a bell for him at first. So I was like, OK, well, have you ever had rum from Belize? And he immediately mentioned a couple of releases from independent bottlers that I knew were distilled at your distillery. So I, I told him that and he was he was very excited. So um, I, I'm, I think a lot of people are in that kind of situation where they've had rum from Belize, you know, that's come from an independent bottler or something like that, but they, they don't necessarily know about travelers. So mm-hmm. I, I'm excited for people to get to know uh, both of you and the distillery a little bit more. And um to, to kick things off, I, I'd love if each of you could just kind of sh- share briefly, you know, what your role is at Travelers and, and give a brief overview of what that looks like for you on a day-to-day basis. So, Amanda, w- why don't we start with you? So, I, I was um, worked a little bit in the medical field, and then also I was a science teacher. As we are, well, we were all getting older, um, and I was getting ready to retire, there was a need for me to go do some time in Belize to manage the company because we're a family-owned business. So I came back and my youngest younger sister, Magali, went and um, she took over managing the company. But I have stayed in touch in terms of consulting with her and also um, coordinating the export. And, you know, I've done some shows and I do, you know, whatever needs to be done in the U.S., I will do. And I'm also on the board. We have a board of directors with mm. all of us who are share, you know, shareholders and representatives. And I also participate in that and decision making. And, and Maito, what about you? Well, I've been here from from childhood, I guess. <laughs> I grew up in the in, in, in the company with my dad. Um, I, I I learned a lot of the blendings from him. He was doing a lot of stuff, trial and error, that he mm. learned uh, on his own. I learned a lot from him, um, the tasting, the smelling, the blending. And then, of course, we got into the aging as well. So I've been around since, you know, as far as I could remember, right? <laughs> so you started, you, you were uh, in, in the crib at the distillery, huh? Did they uh, do that trick where they put in the baby bottle with a little bit of rum on it uh, <laughs> to help calm you down? It was, um, <laughs> in those days, they, to calm down babies that were crying, they, we used to do a blend of an anise. Anise and um, we, we had one that just plain anise and it was a very sweet, like a liqueur blended with anise. And then we had one with anise and pep. And they used to say that the, the mothers in those days to calm down the, the crying baby was to just put a, a teaspoon of, in, in, in the bottle and the baby would just calm down. <laughs> and, you know. 
Yeah. So Will mentioned this at the the outset that he had a friend that it, it wasn't me, but it sounds just like me because I feel <laughs> the same in the sense of like, I know I, I loved a lot of the Belize rum releases that uh, have been here in the USA, but I didn't know as much about Travelers until I started looking it up and learning about you all recently. And I was actually delighted to learn about your family's history in the rum business. And that, that goes all the way back to the 1950s. And it, it started, if I'm right, with your father, Omario, and it, he, right. he had opened a bar rather than starting a distillery, I think. And I, I wanted to ask you all to fill us in a little bit. And can you take us way back in time and share what made him decide to open that bar and then how it became a distillery and, and, and where that journey led? Okay, so I'll start. Rito will add in there because he remembers a lot more. Anyway, my dad came from a, like a, a family that was not financially well off. Let's put it that way. And he reached eighth grade, he was the oldest, and he had to get out and start working. And he was a hard worker. And by 20 years old, he was like a top salesman with the big, the biggest exporting, importing company in Belize. What, what, what kind of things did they import, Amanda? Everything, you know, can, you know, spam, everything like that people needed. Because at that time, Belize didn't really have a lot of, like they didn't produce a lot of stuff. So okay. a lot of it was imported. And so, you know, then he got married at 22 and they, he and uh, my mom, Perla, started a family and he just had a, like a, this, he had three jobs. He would work as a salesman during the day, collected movie tickets, theater tickets at night. And then he was involved in a lottery this thing where he would sell lottery. And but that he just felt like he, he had more ambition than that. So I think the year that Maito was was born, he decided to to open a bar, and he opened it at the entrance of the city, and so that's where the name came from: was Travelers, because people were traveling back home. At that time, I guess it was probably more profitable if you bought both rum from a distiller, and that and at that time they had lots of distil- little distilleries, and then you blended your own rum and diluted it. And he would make his own blends. And that led to branding them and um, eventually open more outlets. And, you know, he had all these products. He, he liked to innovate. You know, eventually he wanted to um, incorporate because he kind of didn't want to manage the business by himself forever. Sure. So he incorporated and included all of us as shareholders. And that was 85 um, at the same time, he was building, trying to build a, his brands, and we felt like buying um, rum from a distiller was not, we couldn't control the quality all the time. Mm-hmm. So in 1989, the board, you know, we were all on the board, we decided to purchase the distillery from one of our major suppliers, or the major supplier, the only one at the time. And at that time, we upgraded the distillery to what it is now in 1989. That's interesting. So, so just to kind of set the scene back then, were, were there when your father first started purchasing rum from distilleries and and releasing it under his own brands? Are we talking like hundreds of distilleries around the country? Is it just a handful of distilleries? What what what, what does that look like back then? Well, back in those days when he. When he started doing his his own, when he first opened that bar, Belize had, well, Belize is a small country, like I said, and we didn't have hundreds of distilleries, but we had, especially in the northern part of Belize, where it was considered the sugar belt. 
Okay. At the time, while the sugarcane was being grown, there was a lot of pot stills between the, the two districts, Corozal and Arijoa. And I can vividly remember names of people that he, because he used to like go for the, where you get a better price out of the rum. You had people like the Ramirez, the Romeros, the Cuellos, Rancheran, even the um, the family of the, of the current prime minister, the Bresenios had a distillery. Oh, wow. They were all small pot stills at the time. So that's that's where we got the, the alcohol to start doing his blends. Until, until he got in partnership with a guy in, in the western part of Belize that grew sugarcane as well. And he made, a, uh, he made an arrangement with this, with this uh, the Bedran family at the time. And all, all the rum that they produced, he would buy. And then Mr. Bedran didn't want to continue in that business because he was venturing in other, other, other business ventures, other, other investments. So they, he linked up with that, uh, where we are right now with the Espat family. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened. These people got into other other venues, other other different um, construction companies and and different things. So we ended up buying the distillery from Mrs. Pat back in the eighties, in the I think in nineteen eighty nine. And when we bought it from him, it was a one column. It was not a pot still anymore. Just a one column distillery. You know, it was kind of limited, and we wanted to expand. So then, hence what we are, what we have today. You know. So. What's that process like as you're moving from you have these pot stills and you're bringing in this continuous column still? And do you recall that period of time and how you made those decisions in in decommissioning the pot stills and moving over? And and what were the thoughts behind it? Well, when we moved over from pot still to to the continuous one column still, that was still under Mr. Spat. Okay, so that was prior uh, to the purchase of the distillery. Just prior to what we got. We still have um, relics of the of the old pot stills here on, on the compound. Even even the heritage center that we have in Belize City, we set up one of them. They were small pot stills. They were like five to six hundred gallons. And then when we when we got the new columns, we we bought some used columns out of a company in uh, Portales, New Mexico, and we did incorporate the small one column still along with that. So we had a four column operation here. And then just recently, how many years ago was that, um, you? About five years ago, we discontinued using the, the small column because it was it was clogging up too much and keeping us, you know. So we're just we're still we're continuing now with just three columns. Okay. That that they told us could have been one column, but it would have been like maybe sixty or seventy feet <laughs> high. Right, so, right, right. Broken down in three pieces. Right? So is it is it safe to say that that most of the rum from your distillery that's available in the market right now has come from the, this most recent three column setup? Well, no. Um, it was five years ago that we discontinued using the original small column that we. Bought. Oh, okay, okay. So some of it's still out there then. Yeah, some of it is still aged. We still right. have some. We still have some 2006 and 2007 age rums. So those are collector's items now, huh? <laughs> yeah. We got to find yeah, those yeah. on the market and grab them up. And, and, yeah. and yeah. B- before we before we continue too much into the rum, I want to back up real quick for a second, just because I'm always fascinated personally um, hearing about family businesses and and how those work and growing up in that environment is always interesting to me. For for each of you, was it always like 
a foregone conclusion that you would be part of the business? Did you expect to be, uh, you know, Maito, did you expect to be come a distiller and, and do all this work that you do with rum. And Amanda, did you expect to kind of uh, have this role in, on the business side of the distillery? Like at, at what point did that become known as like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be part of the family business. Maito, you go first. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I went to school in Florida. I went to Florida state and, Oh, oh, go oh, no. oh, no. <laughs> University of Miami hurricane here. Sorry. I just had to stop. Oh, and so say that. Battle, right? Yeah. You're, you're still cool though. Maito, cause you guys make great rum. So I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. But Florida state is our rivals. Um, I always thought about coming back. I mean, it was, it was like you said, a, a, a foregone conclusion that I would come back and, and be part of the business. So, you know, I did come back and, and I'm still here. So <laughs> it worked out. It worked out. Well, it was and, and growing up in it, and, and especially after I came back from college and was with my dad his, his last few years that he was around. Like every day was every day was a new day. Every day was trying to blend something new, trying to get you know. Sometimes when we sit down and I and I and I we we reminisce at some of the blends that he did, they were, it's just like a, a big joke because it was like one of the classic ones I always remember was when he made the. Um, a rum lime blend, rum and lime. Oh, really? And Got it. Yeah. Instead of sweetening it, he added salt because it was a it was a fad that if you drink rum and lime in those days, it would kill the flu if you had a flu, right? It's the best medicine. <laughs> like, a, like a medicine, and he called it. I said, "Well, what name are you going to give it?" He made a label, the flu reliever, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of his things, you know, like. He just had it in his mind until he did it, and we did it, and, you know. Yeah, he sounds like a, a, a creative, creative person. He was. He was always, you know, he was always, uh, like, every day coming coming up with something new. And then, of course, he was always passionate about keeping the age wrong, aging wrong, aging wrong. He was always, you know. That, I, that's an interesting point. I, I had a note to, to ask you about this later, but since you brought it up now, um, I, you know, in a previous, you both did a live stream with, with Werspa um, and, and Matt Petrick that I sat in on last year. And you mentioned that you are kind of the first and only distillery to really emphasize aging rum in Belize to a significant degree. And I was curious to know, just it, it sounds like maybe your your father was a driving force behind, you know, because that kind of decision takes foresight to age mm -hmm. because you can't sell it while it's aging. It takes planning. You have to yeah. put it somewhere. It takes infrastructure. So what kind of pushed you to invest in aged rum so long ago when it wasn't really the norm? Well, you know, I, I, I was talking to Amanda about that, and um, actually, we were importing in those days aged rums from Barbados. Oh, really? Oh. And the way they were, they were, the way they were shipping it from Barbados to us was in oak barrels. Uh huh. So then, when we were finished with a barrel, what would you do? What do you do with it? You have your own rum. You have your own production. So you started put some more rum in it. Put back some rum in it, and and do your own blend and put it in there. And then we couldn't afford to continue. It, um, buying a drum from Barbados like that, we we could have, but the prices went up because the um, the government charged so much excise, the double or triple the excise. So then we we decided, you know what, let's do our own thing for the local market, of course. And then little by little, we got more barrels and more barrels, and and then we started doing a blended brandy. So we imported brandy out of France 
in old pharaohs they came in bigger old pharaohs mm-hmm. so we did the same thing when those were empty and it gave another flavor and and, mm-hmm. and and that's right because you sell through travelers liquors you it's it's travelers liquors so you sell more than just rum correct yeah yeah so when, what time period was that when you were importing rum from barbados that was in the I would say the late 60s, early 70s. Okay, wow. Oh, wow. And so this was maybe or its early, own... Yeah, maybe earlier. Maybe, maybe it was the early 60s. Wow, okay. By the time by the time we move into our, our facility that's, that we still have now, we had already discontinued some of the, the Barbados. Um, we're importing Barbados rum in bulk like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whatever Barbados rum came into Belize after that was was already bottled. And so so the, the first aged expressions of rum distilled at travelers then would have been aged in used rum barrels is, is my understanding correct yeah, right okay right. and is that I, i'm guessing that's not still your standard cask type are, are you using used bourbon barrels like a lot of the rum world is now yeah okay. used bourbon barrels we're still doing that we're starting we're starting to, to get slowly we're thinking about getting more into the european barrels Okay, so so different different cask types, maybe yeah. X X wine casks and things like that. Right, right, X sherry things yeah. like that. Uh, Amanda, did you want to jump in? It looked like you had uh, something to share. Sometimes when we use the barrels, we don't use it once. They are then aged in a rum barrel. I mean, it has been aging rum, and then we put rum in there to age again. So. Mm-hmm. Some- that happens you know naturally right so you don't you don't just get one use out of it when you empty yeah you know what we ought to do we we ought to we ought to talk to richard richard seal and say hey we should ship some belizean rum barrels over to him (laughs) and return the favor now 40 or 50 or whatever 70 years later yeah we could get this barbados (laughs) belize exchange going back there you go well like i've had a call from somebody who's making whiskey and he wants to get the rum, the barrels that we have used for rum to age his whiskey in now. It's like going back again to, to whiskey. Right, right. Yeah, I've seen a number of releases from from various whiskey brands now that are using, you know, X um, Caribbean rum casks and things like that. And scotch as well. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. But okay, so getting, getting back to where we were, uh, it, it's interesting that you noted how Belize, it seems, has this heritage of pot still rum. That was the, the, the MO back in the day of, of these small distilleries all over the country located close to sugarcane having their own little pot stills. And Travelers has its own heritage of pot still rum as well. Um, one th- kind of a trend that that we've seen with some Caribbean producers in, in recent years is uh, either doing pot still only expressions or even bringing back pot still production. Uh, we did a, we did an interview with uh, Rum Barbancourt in Haiti, and it was mm-hmm. a similar situation there where they had pot stills you know prior to the '90s, and then they switched over to column still distillation, and they mentioned they were bringing back pot still production. Um, so I was just curious. If that's something that is is you've considered or is is on your radar at all of, of doing pot still rum at Travelers at some point? Well, well, we we have considered it. We have talked about it. Um, we're doing right now in the process, and Amanda will probably expand more on it. Our vision right now is to do an expansion where we get more efficient efficiency. We're going to get some new equipment, um, and then maybe after that we're thinking about. After we settle with that and get more efficient, then maybe we get back into a pot still. Okay. And we blend it with continuous and pot stills and then age it. 
different flavors and different, you know, different draws and, you know. Right. I, I, I'm guessing as uh, a blender, it, it's always nice to have different profiles to play with and to yeah, blend with yeah. and, and get creative yeah. with. So, OK, so I'm hearing like it's it's on it's on the horizon is something that might happen. Yeah. So it's um, always something in the back, you know. Yes. I, I, I saw it at, um, at uh, I think it was in Barbados. I think Mount Gay had one setting up one. They definitely have some some old pot stills yeah. at Mount Gay. Yeah, they were setting up. At, at that, that, when I visited maybe ten years ago, I visited. They were setting up a brand new one. Well, I know they've they've gone through a few renovations and things like that. So yeah. So I think first we want to modernize because the the distillery we have right now is older than eighty nine. So first we modernize and then we'll start branching out to pot stills. So we got to take care of the main thing, you know, the main event. Yeah. And, and when you say modernize, that's just speaking to some of those. Uh, you talked in terms of becoming more efficient and things like that. So is that just, up, you know, kind of upgrading, updating things that, that are maybe old? Well, no, like now the, the, the trend is to use a vacuum column that makes things more efficient. Even like the boiler uh, heating, you don't use as much energy. And you can design different or types of rum that you can get from it. So the, the first thing we'll do is that, because that's where we'll get most of our products. And then the pot still, you know, experiment with that later. You know, that's what's kind of consuming our focus right now. So Amanda Maito, we, we talked a little bit before about how I think people in the U.S. and maybe in other parts of the world, they don't often think first of Belize maybe when they think of really, really amazing rum, but they should. We, I think we can all agree that they should. And I think it's happening. The reason I say that is because in an article I read last year on rumrevelations.com by uh, noted rum influencer Ivar Delat, he wrote about Belize rum and he admitted that he hadn't had much previous experience with it then, but he was super surprised by the quality of the product and the Traditions. And in fact, I, I think he even said he went so far as to call Belize a sleeping giant in terms of producing high quality rum that he enjoyed. And so I have two questions along those lines that I wanted to ask you all. The first is, obviously, you think you make high quality rum in Belize and you uh, love your rum. But do you think of Belize also as a sleeping giant in the global landscape of rum like he does? And then second, I'll let you answer that one in a second. And second, in your words, what? how do you distinguish what Belizean rum is from maybe other Central American rums or just other rums in general in terms of the tradition, the flavors, or anything else that might help others who haven't had as much experience with Belizean rum understand what it is? I'll try to answer the first and let Maito answer the second one. In terms of not thinking of Belize as a rum, um, you know, specializing in rum, I think um, the other Caribbean countries, because they're older and their rum industry is much older. I mean, Barbados' rum industry is 400 years. Right, right. Not the same. And they're bigger they're bigger countries. So, of course, the first thing people think of is Jamaica, Barbados, and, and Belize has come later in the tourism industry. I mean, everybody knew about Jamaica and Barbados from 1950s, 60s. When I first came to the U.S. in the 70s, and I'd say I'm from Belize, nobody had a clue where I was from. Where it is. Yeah. I had to draw a map and show them where it was. So Belize is coming to later on, much later than the other countries. So I think tourism brings a lot of, what do you call it, exposure 
Yeah. Awareness. We've gotten a lot of exposure. Our rums have gotten exposure because people go there, they go, we have a museum, they'll taste the rums and they know about Belize, you know, they know about the rums of Belize. And we've gotten exposure also in Europe with our bulk rum. And we're the only ones who, from Belize who are selling bulk rum. So, you know, all the expressions that you see with the age rum, they're all from our distillery. But I think we're late, we're kind of late coming into the rum, rum industry. And also even, let's say, so that's the Caribbean, but if we take ourselves as part of Central America, Central America also has rums, Guatemala. We are late bloomers in terms of that, but, but it doesn't mean that, you know, people are getting to know us, knowing Belize, and now we have four distilleries. And, and before we turn to Maito for the second part of that question, you mentioned the museum, which I found interesting, and I saw on your website, actually. So you have the, the, the distillery, and then you have a, a visitor center, I guess you would call it, and a museum where people can taste the rum. And I think Maito also mentioned that you have maybe some of the old pot stills there. But that seems so cool. And I, I just wanted to say, I can't wait till I can visit, hopefully now with coronavirus subsiding and, and uh, people getting vaccinated and things hopefully getting back to normal. It sounds like a really cool place to visit. Can you talk a little bit more about what's in the museum before we move to the, the rest of that? It's, it's a small museum, and part of it has, like, the history of Rome with some pictures. We have some artifacts from, you know, the grinding, grinding the sugar cane when they used to use sugar cane to get their yeah. juice, instead of molasses. And we have a pot still. And then there's a glass area where you could see the bottling line. The museum is actually in our Belize facility, which is the blending part. and. Uh-huh is in Belmopan, where Maito is right now. That's about an hour from Belize. And that's so, the capital, correct? Capital of Belize, yes. So we're in Belize City and right like on the way to the airport. And and so, you know, people, it's a good place like when tourists come in and if there's they're overnighting in Belize, it's a good place to stop either before you go to your resort or, you know, on the way back from the resort to the airport. It's a good place. Or both. Stop. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that lots do, do lots of cruise ships come into Belize City as well. You know, we get the, the two cruise ships. We were getting a lot of them because at one when before coronavirus, I think sometimes we'd have four ships, like ten thousand people would land in Belize and wow. would stop. You know, if they're going on a cave tour or a tour of the the ruins. The taxi people or the tour people would stop off at the at the museum on the way back. So we'd get a lot of people coming in and tasting. Um, now things have slowed down a lot, and we're waiting for the cruise ships to start again. My son also works with a cruise ship, so he's waiting too. <laughs> right. oh, okay, well, yeah. yeah. Maita, I'll, I'll reread you the, the second part of that question that you were uh, going to answer, which was, what do you tell people what Belizeum rum is like who maybe haven't had as much experience with it? Well, our, our, our rums, I classify it, or I, I put it as a, a blend between uh, the Dominican rum and a Barbadian rum. Oh, in interesting. Oh. It's a light, it's a light age rum, and I think what we have a distinction is that our molasses, our molasses source is a lot fresher. We we have two sugar mills in Belize, and that gives us a, a big advantage. Some of the some of the places have to store molasses for maybe a year. Or yeah, I, I I know it's it's 
becoming quite uncommon now for producers in the Caribbean to get their molasses within their own country and not have to import at least some molasses uh, from you know, international sources. I, for example, in Barbados, they have to import a lot of molasses. Right. Uh, you know, and I think the, the molasses changes for them. I, I, I guess they have to maybe seek where the better prices and, and that, that has a factor. We have two, two sugar mills in Belize, the, the old, old one that's been here for maybe 50, 60 years. And then there's a new sugar mill that started maybe six years ago. Their name is Santander and they're not too far from us. So that has given us another advantage. One of the good things about what is happening with the new sugar mill is that recently, over the last, uh, this this is our second year we're going into, they're they're taking back the vinas from us and using it as a biofertilizer, right? Before that, we we were trying to clean it it out as much as possible and put it back in the the rivers here in Belize. But that was was a lot more costly and a lot, a lot more work. Now we're putting it back in the ground. Um, we even have a Mennonite farmer that's using quite a bit of corn and rice. So that, that's a big plus for us recently. Oh, did you say Mennonite farmers? Yeah, Mennonite farmers. Oh, okay, yeah, well, yeah. I, did, I didn't realize that there were Mennonites in, in Belize. We have, a big, we have a big Mennonite, well, a big Mennonite community all over the country. Okay. But there's a big, big Mennonite community close to where we are the biggest community of Mennonites, and they do a lot of heavy farming. Interesting. They're the, hmm. they're the biggest um, rice producers, I think, and and corn producers, right? Wow. And, and so for, for our listeners, you you, you reference the venasse, uh, which would be what is left over in the still after distillation, correct? Right. And so now you're able, I, I'm guessing you're able to, to sell that to the farms, you know, to use as fertilizer then? Well, we are not selling it to them because we wanted to try to get rid of it. Okay. So we're still, we just started. So eventually we hope that maybe we get back something from it. Okay. Right? Yeah. It took a while. It took a while to have some people convinced that, you know, that it could be used back in the earth and, and as a, as a biofertilizer. Huh. But I mean, the, the, the Mennonite guy, he's not complaining about the quantity. The sugar mill last year told us to stop at, at a certain point because the Department of Environment was going to get on them if they received more. So we had to get this other guy, and, and he's happy with what he's getting. So I think eventually we'll get something from it. At least maybe eventually they will just freight it away for the freight. Would, you know, it would cost us to have it freight into their place. Which is costing us right now. So, right. right. So they can at least come pick it up or something yeah, like that. Pick yeah. It up, yeah. Eventually, yeah. that that's where we want to reach. Yeah, it, it just seems like a, a good symbiotic relationship there between you and 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 Green as well to figure out how to reuse that in yeah, such a way yeah. that it's good for for everybody and and makes sense. So the Venas has got a lot of nutrients and I and as other year to mention to you some of the some of the compounds that are still in the Venas that mm. goes back in here. So you could tell them that? Well, what happens with the venas is it has a lot of the trace elements that these crops need. And trace elements by nature are very expensive. Mm-hmm. So basically they get this for free. They do have to do some um, different mixture because by nature fermentation uses nitrogen. So it's not a nitrogen rich fertilizer. So they do have to add supplements to it as well. But in terms of trace elements and minerals, it has an abundance of it that the fermentation doesn't utilize. So it's a trade-off, right? But they do get the, those very important nutrients that they need. 
In the wider Caribbean, they use it for a variety of different cash crops, not just the big grains that we're talking about here. I mean, in Jamaica, I know they use it a lot in the um, banana industry as well. Mm, interesting. So, Maita, I wanted to ask a little bit also, you mentioned that you would categorize a little bit of Belizean rum as kind of a mix of Barbados and, and Dominican Republic, which happen to be two of my favorites, by the way. And but so it, we fall right in the... Yes, it, you're hitting me where I live, is what I would say, <laughs> because it makes sense, because I don't know that you all uh, know this, but I, I will confess that both Will and I picked the Holmes Key bottling of Travelers that they put out last year for 2020. That was our rum of the year. John and I both, we were like, it was the end of the year and we were like, hey, we should we should do an episode where we just share kind of what our favorite things were that we drank this year. And we each made up our own list. We had different categories. We yeah. didn't talk about them in advance. And then we got on the show and we got to the end where we were like, okay, we're each just going to pick our favorite rum that we had this year. And it, we both picked the, the Holmes <laughs> Key Belize uh, release. So we think you're on to something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. and it, it really is a great rum. And what one of the things that characterized it for me was, we've already talked a little bit about it. it it's a column distilled rum. But the interesting piece there is it's a column distilled that is very full of flavor. And sometimes you'll hear a lot of people in the rum world think, oh, column distilled equals lighter and, you know, floral and for mixing and not really something that brings the complexity that you want to sip neat. But you all very much and some others, but you all buck the trend, I think, and produce this column distilled rum that is just fantastic and is very complex, has a, a ton of flavor that it brings. So I guess... I, what I was getting to there is what are some of the things that you do with your column still when you distill that that are bringing out this flavor and, and to what can you attribute this success? Well, I think the draws um, and, and the, 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 the fermentation process, we, the distillery sits on one of the best water tables in the country. Mm. So, so it, it starts well know, beyond, and, yeah. And of course, we got, we got the molasses source. The molasses I think plays a good role in it as well. Even though, even though the molasses comes with its own its own complexities of um, less sugars, the the, the the sludge in it, it's it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of game with it. Sometimes it clogs up quick, but you know it's part of it. All all, all the distilleries are, are like they say the, the the sugar the sugar factories get more efficient, but then the, the distilleries have to deal with that because then you, you get less sugar, this this nutrients of our Right. They're trying they're trying to pull all the sugar as much possible out of the molasses yeah. Uh, yeah. To, to become uh, more efficient, but distilleries want there to be more of that uh, right. in the molasses. And of course and of course you have the, the yeast that we use, right? So You're using a baker's yeast, right? right. Do, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Right, 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 which which isn't something that you see every day um, in distilleries. It, ha, have you always been using that? You know, dating back to the the eighties and before, or no? We used to use they, they, we used to import our own yeast out of Mexico, and then we got we got a consultant from Dominican Republic um, oh, okay. a, few, a few years ago, and he 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 got he had gotten technology from India. And he came here and he, we had one box of the imported yeast from Mexico. And he said, if you could get Baker's yeast, let's get that. Interesting. And, and that's how we started. And we're still with that, with that same yeast. And, you know. Do you, what, what was the reasoning behind that? I think, I think 
when he was when when he was going through the whole process and, and upgrading our fermentation process, we didn't have enough of that yeast that maybe that special yeast that we well, while he was here. So then it was like, well then just use what we have here. And it made no difference. So I think it helped us. Even even some of the people in, in um, what, what's the name of the East company? Laleman. Uh, even oh, the people, La- Laleman, yeah. says you you know, Laleman has been here a couple a couple of times and they they are amazed of what you know how the baker's yeast is doing for us. Wow. Hmm. It's did did you when you switched did you know a pronounced difference it had in the the flavor profile of your rum or was it pretty similar? It was it was similar, but now after we started testing the rum, we've, we've gotten better results on the on somebody. What, what do we call them? The numbers of the GC. Yeah, the congener profile has changed uh, significantly. Oh, interesting. But um, again, just to add to what Michael has said, one of the issues that the the, the this yeast particular and the consultant from Dominican Republic, they have a lot of familiarity in their molasses. And like Michael said, even though the molasses source for us is, is fresh, the, the lack of sugars and other um, stuff like that, the, the baker's yeast and the molasses match well. Okay, interesting. So some, something, about, something about the baker's yeast works well with this molasses that has lower sugar content than you would like to see sometimes. Exactly. And, and the, the, what we call the, the trash in it, right back, I mean the, the sludge content. Mm-hmm. And it seems to have very much so with deficiency, so to speak. So I think apart from the fact that the, um, it was readily available, the guy from the Dominican Republic, he, he was very familiar with that. So that that was part of the reasoning data as well. So and I and I think I think the I think the water source has something to do with it because the water is it's like well water, but it's a lot of water. That's a lot of good water. Also the aging. But, the aging was not. <laughs> the, the the home's key was what? From 2005, yeah. I think so that was a long right. time. And the maize it ages really fast because it's right. so hot, uh, you know. Uh, so I have a lot to do with it. The taste, for sure. Well, it's, it's interesting to hear too that you know you're you're talking a lot about everything, including not just the the distillation process, but all the things that go into it and all the things that come after it, right? So you're saying from from start to finish, it's really that your product is a due to all of those factors and all the things, and not just really what you're doing with the with the column distilling. So that's that's interesting and and good to point out too as well. So uh, on the note of you know, we talked about the the Holmes Key release, and I, I know at the beginning uh, when we first started that I think one of the the ways a lot of our listeners who are either in the US or in Europe, the most common way for many of them to experience your rum is through some of these releases from independent bottlers. And there's a, a number of brands beyond just Holmes Key, SBS, Caden Heads, I know has done some. W- one thing that I was interested in is just how do you sort of determine what rum to allocate for yourself? Because um, you have your own brands of, of rum that, that you sell. I know you sell a lot of it down there in Belize. Um, so how do you kind of decide, okay, we're going to keep these for ourselves and okay we'll sell some of these what, what does that process look like for you well we have two aging warehouses one in Belize city which is mainly for our brands 
And, but we do sell sometimes from there. And the distillery has a warehouse also. In Balmapan. Balmapan. And that's where we normally sell our, our age rums. And I'm the one that, that usually people contact to see if, uh, you know, what we can sell. So it's like a really trying to juggle everything. And, you know, I'll, we'll um, keep in touch with the blenders, Maito and guys who work in the Lee's warehouse to see, okay, what do you have that we're not going to use? Uh, and we have one rum, the Dona Mario, that's aged at least 10 years. So we have to make sure we have, you know, enough for that. And also we have a, a, a blend that's like five years. And um, so we, you know, we have to balance a lot of things. Right. So, so just, just to recap for listeners, the, the, you have the Don Mario blend, which would be the oldest one from your own brands that you sell there. And that's 10 years. And the, the, the next oldest would be five. So I know the, the Holmes key was 15, what, 15, 15 mm-hmm. years. So how, how much rum do you have that is, you know, well beyond that Don Mario range in your warehouses? Or I don't know if you can reveal that or not, but yeah. I'm just kind of curious, you know, what that looks like. And what, you, what, what kind of treasures you might be hiding down there? Eric is <laughs> getting a lot of it. <laughs> okay, so Eric's got no, those kind of no, uh, earmarked. No, um, um, we don't have much more than than what Eric, I mean, that that is the oldest probably, um, because people are buying the, buying it, you know, and we want to reach a point where we can save some that's, that's older, but I think the taste of it is good at that age, so why, you know, why would you want, that much older than 50, right? No, I mean, I think that's a good point because mm-hmm. I, I we, we talk on the show a lot about how age isn't just some, like quality doesn't just continue to go up with age no yeah. matter what but but that the the 15 year one yeah that that was a good that was a good age for the actually rum, tra- we are coming out we're releasing a special edition in september that's going to be oh, okay. one and we're to commemorate the 40th anniversary of belize's independence and oh, wow. that is a 15 year and it's going to be barrel proof so oh wow okay it's going to be released in september and we're probably going to sell most of it in Belize, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the airport and probably in the museum. So that's going to be a special release and very limited, you know, maybe not too many bottles. Another okay. reason to come visit Belize. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Well, that, that was going to be one of my, my questions as well, just because I, I know the, the, the rum nerds who listen to our show, and, and I consider John and I in that category when <laughs> I say that, um, we always want to know, you know, are, are, like, is there going to be higher proof stuff coming out and, and that sort of thing? So um, I think traditionally we'd seen most of that from those independent bottlers, but not necessarily from travelers releases. So that's, that's exciting to hear that that's on the radar. So yeah, so it's limited, limited numbers and um, close to barrel proof, you know, mm-hmm. and um, so look out for it September, you know. Yeah. And the thing that one of the reasons that ha- that we are selling the, the bulk rum and not we're not able to do as many of those releases is because packaging is a, uh, it's kind of a hurdle for us. You know, we have to all the packaging materials we have the raw materials like the molasses and and the water and the rum but everything else is very expensive if you want a good bottle you know you yeah, can yeah that's interesting I, I i can't remember who i was talking to recently and i'm sorry for not crediting this smart person but they they noted that um glass factories i think are not common throughout the 
Caribbean. Um, mm-hmm. So it sounds like that would play into, you know, one of the reasons why you need to import the, the packaging material. Is that right? Right, right. And um, like even Mexico, we get some of our everyday bottles from Mexico, not really special. And sometimes if you do get if you do get a special bottle, you they won't make it all the time. They'll wait uh, like the tequila company might be ordering a lot and then they have a production and then you can get that bottle. So yeah. it's very limited. So we've gotten some of our good bottles, like for the Dona Mario from Italy. Um, mm. They seem to have a wide variety of those that we could always get one that we like, you know. Whereas it's limited in other countries. I, and I think Trinidad has a, a glass factory, but it's really hard to get in touch with them, you know. Mm-hmm. Why are you so busy, you know, supplying the Caribbean? Well, listen, Amanda, if, um, you know, I get down there, you, you can put mine in a milk jug and scribble a little 15 <laughs> on it. That's no problem for me. I, I'm good with the liquid. <laughs> might run into some legal troubles for that job we don't want to get them in trouble okay you're right but you know what i I have a i have a beef with the liquor industry in general not just rum but the wine i'm like you know there's so many bottles being produced that are so beautiful and expensive, and you use it once and some people save it but how many can you save it's like Somehow, I think we need to figure a way to, to do something with that. BYOB. The, yeah. <laughs> I had a, a plan for that, but I won't tell you because everybody's going to steal the idea. Ooh, okay. We'll talk offline, Amanda. We'll talk yeah. offline. We'll get it going with you. Now, that, that is interesting because I was, I was I was having a conversation with someone yesterday and I was talking about a, a bottle that I purchased recently that, you know, came in a, a, a nice box. Um, and I, I thought, you know, the artwork on the box was, was really cool. And I, I was telling the person, it's kind of like, you know, when I get a nice birthday card from my family or something like that, like I'll keep it around for a few weeks. But at some point, like... I have to just get rid of it. And it's the same thing with the box. I always end up feeling guilty taking this box that I think is, you know, pretty, but I can't just, you know, my my house would be full of rum boxes. So I have to throw it away at some point. I have in my garage, I have like 10 or five, five to 10 bottles of Dona Mario because I don't want to throw the bottles away. <laughs> but I, I can't bring myself to throw it away, but eventually I'll have to do something with it. Well, I'm sure it's it's extra special for you because that's your father's name on it as well. So, yeah. yeah. So we talked about what you've uh, got coming up. Anything else interesting or exciting that you wanted to share? You're currently thinking about. I mean, not not with your bottle idea that stays with you, but <laughs> but uh, other than that, is there anything uh, you all? I heard Maito mention a little earlier earlier about um, experimenting with different casks. But is there anything you can tell us a little bit more about that at all for the future? What we might see next? Yeah. Well, the the, the rum we're gonna bring out in September is gonna have a little touch of that special, a couple of the special barrels from Europe. Ah, okay. okay. So so some of those casks are going into that. Yeah. It's it's a it's an age rum that was aged in the way we normally age, and then we transfer it to the to the European barrels, and so kind of a, a secondary maturation or a finishing, yeah, a finish, and it's really it's awesome and barrel proof. So yeah, that's really for you for you guys and like myself that want to really have the taste of rum. Exactly. No ice, just neat. You're speaking That's my right. language now. No yes. ice, just neat. Not, not. I'm not passing judgment on on people like little ice. There's nothing wrong with that. But that that is my my favorite way to experience rum. Um, 
Well, that that's great. Um, I, I wanted to just say thank you to both of you again. Um, yes. I, I know you don't have all afternoon to spend with us, but it's it's really exciting just to learn more about what you're doing and all that's happening down there in, in Belize. And I, I'm excited for more people to get to know that. And as as you mentioned earlier, Amanda, there's there's not just one distillery there anymore. There's more distilleries that are coming. So I think uh, Belizean rum, as more of those distilleries get out there, um, it, it's going to be something that, that people uh, recognize more frequently and see it as a rum making place and actually knowing where it is. Uh, as mm-hmm. you said, you know, you mentioned describing telling people you're from Belize and they don't realize, you know, it's not really that far away from from us in the U.S. So I'm excited as, as you guys keep getting out there. But um, before we go, any anything else to, to share? Uh, I know we just covered kind of what's coming up next, but uh, any any final words before we wrap up? Come to Belize. When it's open. Yes. (laughs) Now, come to Belize on a rum tour. Yes. That sounds like a plan to me and something I very much need to get on my calendar. John, we'll we'll plan a trip together at some point, I'm sure. We need to do it. Yes. Travelers. We're going to become travelers. Travelers to travelers. travelers. Exactly. That's a a really bad joke that we just got in there. (laughs) I had to get at least one in. Yeah. All right. Um, great. Well, Amanda, Maito, and Odair as well. I know you were in the background contributing some. Uh, th- thanks to all three of you. Uh, this was great. And uh, we really appreciate it. Okay, Rumcasters. So that was our interview with Amanda and Maito from Travelers Rum in Belize. We hope you enjoyed the segment. Uh, we sure did and, and found it very enlightening, as we mentioned in the intro. So one thing that you may have noticed, though, that was not in that interview is the rapid fire segment. Where was the rapid fire? It was missing, I know. And we've had so much feedback that, that people love the rapid fire segment. That's um, right. But we just, you know, I, it, this is on me, and it, the will he's absolved. This was on me because <laughs> I, I did not have enough time to get to what I felt was the quality that you expect from the rapid fire. You segments. have high standards. Yes, you have high standards. So we know it's not going away. We will continue to do the rapid fire segment in our interviews. We just didn't get there with this one because of uh, a lot of the scheduling and other things. So we thought maybe since we don't want to miss this twice in a row, that maybe right. a good thing for us to do would be to turn the rapid fire segment on ourselves and to have will put me the on questions. the clock yeah for 60 seconds and and he he puts me under the gun for a little bit and we'll do it that way and then at some point in the future will you know turn about is fair play so we'll have to get back and i'll have to do uh, the rapid fire for you but i know it's coming eventually but yeah. uh yeah i i also i love i love the radical transparency from you just taking ownership <laughs> you know not we we can't put the blame on travelers at all because no. they they were totally going to do were it ready. Uh, yeah they were ready and and you know it was it was our own failing but we're trying to make up for it in some capacity here mm-hmm. so i it's interesting because usually i just am the timekeeper but i guess i need to play dual roles of asking the questions and keeping an eye on the clock over here so i'm going to kind of i'm expecting this, a lot yeah i'm going to yeah. put this where i can see it and um yeah let me know when you're ready okay i was i was born ready for this all right here we go neat or on the rocks neat pot column or blend blend what rum-producing country is highest on your list of places to visit? Oh, man. I feel like I should say Belize now, but I, I think it's also Barbados and Puerto Rico. That's that's more than one answer, but I'll allow it. <laughs> Hamden or Worthy Park? Oh, Worthy Park. Rum Fire or Rum Bar? 
rum fire. The Marvel character you would most want to share a bottle of rum with. Yes, I love it. There's so many, but I'm going to have to say Iron Man. What's your favorite ingredient to use in a rum-based cocktail? <laughs> of the little cocktails I make, I'm going to go with lime. Are you sure it isn't Campari? Oh, I'm definitely sure it's not. In <laughs> fact, I haven't touched that Campari bottle since that one time. I'll, I'll win you over eventually. <laughs> All right. Um, longtime listeners will know that uh, while rum is your number one interest, tabletop games are probably a close second. Maybe yes. gardening now. Yes. Uh, if you were to fuse your hobbies and design a rum-themed tabletop game, what would it be called? Oh my God, that's a good one because there's so many, there actually are games like this, brew crafters, distilled, there's others. Um, I guess I would have to call it uh, rum casters. <laughs> nice. <laughs> What's one thing you could say to let people know you're from Florida without telling them you're from Florida? Sometimes it's not what you say, it's what you do. <laughs> and, <that's laughs> and in fine. Florida, I think that's what it is. Oh, right. Uh, I, I, I have to admit, you know, just to give you a little extra punishment, I let that go a little longer than 60 seconds. So, uh, so people might know. But, you know, you did a great job. So thank you for, for you know, bringing your A-game today. Oh, well, thank you for excellent questions and uh, and well-researched thank as you. well, which well, is always you know, we, important. We've, we've spent a lot of time together. So yeah, they, they, yeah. they came easy. Well, John, on that note, I think we can wrap this episode for today. Uh, everyone listening at home, as always, let us know uh, what's on your mind, what you've been drinking lately, what you you know have found interesting in the rum world, what you'd like to hear us talk about, uh, who you'd like to hear us interview. Yeah. You can always reach us at host at rumcast.com. Send us an email, host at rumcast.com. We're also on so- social media. John, where, they, where can they find us on social media these days? At, at the rumcast on Instagram or on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on either one. And actually, I, I want to add something we want to know about. We talked about the, the gardening and the rum garden. What yeah. are you putting in your rum garden? Is Ooh. is this a thing that we just didn't know about? And I thought I was a genius uh, or my wife was a genius. And maybe it's actually a thing and uh, people are doing this. So this if is so, a new movement. Yeah. Let, let's rum make gardeners. it a new movement. Rumgardeners.com. Um, <laughs> somebody's going to go you get better that buy website. that domain now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, if you have uh, some garden and you use stuff for rum, uh, let us know what that is because I really honestly truly want to know and, and I want to plan it. So let's do it. All right. Well, on that note, John, I will talk to you next time. All righty. All righty.